lighthearted guy. I like to joke, I like to goof, I don't take too many things too seriously. I pretty much like everything. Uh, but if I had to come up with something that I don't like, if you ask me, Kyle, what do you despise? I could answer that. I cannot stand waiting. There is nothing about the process of waiting that I enjoy. You ever been in a doctor's office and sat in the waiting room? Is that not the most excruciatingly painful place on this planet? Because you walk in there, and like they've given up trying to build up the hype. They're just calling it the waiting room. And so you go and you sit. No one's talking to anybody. Everyone's just thinking the exact same thing. I wonder what that disease that dude has. <laughs> right? You're sitting there, but you're not going to touch anything, right? Because if you want to make the wait a little bit quicker, you can just read Good Housekeeping. You can read Reader's Digest. That'll be riveting. But of course, that's covered in who knows what, and so you're not going to touch that. And so you're stuck in this tiny, fake, little leather chair. The person next to you feels that's necessary to get on the phone and call whoever to tell them about the ooze that's coming out of their big toe. And then you sit there and you look down and you think, why is this person wearing sandals today? <laughs> the waiting room, it's brutal. But the thing about waiting is none of us like to do it. It's the one state we all live our lives in. Because like when you're a kid, all you do is wait. You can't wait to ride the school bus alone. You can't wait to get to high school. You can't wait to get that driver's license. You can't wait to graduate and move out of mom and dad's house. And then you get older and you can't wait to go to college. You can't wait to get a real career. And you can't wait to find a spouse and so you get engaged and you can't wait for the wedding night. Right? And then you can't wait to buy the house. You can't wait to have the kids. You can't wait for the kids to be potty trained. And then you can't wait for the kids to grow up and move out of the house. And then you can't wait for retirement. You can't wait for vacations. And all of a sudden you're 95 years old, you're sick and you're tired and you can't wait for it all to be over. We are all always waiting. Some of you this morning got dragged here by family and friends, and you can't wait for the sermon to be over because I'm making the wait a little bit longer. But the point is, all of us are waiting all the time. And this Christmas, we've been talking about longing. And we've been talking about this longing that we all have from God for God. And all that means is God's created in all of us something that desires something eternal outside of us. Like, we all have this longing that only God can fulfill. And since we all have longing, all of us are waiting. Because implicit to the understanding of longing is you're waiting for the longing to be fulfilled. And so today, all I would really want to do is take a step back and answer one question. How do you wait well? Because if life is one long longing... You need to know how to wait well, or you're going to spend your whole life waiting for what's next, getting ornery, getting older, because you have this unmet expectation, unmet longing, and you're going to miss what God actually had for you in the wait. So if you have your Bible, open up to Romans 4, verse 20. And as you turn there, I'm going to set up the text for us a little bit. So in the first book of Scripture is the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, we meet a man named Abraham. Uh, Abraham, at the time, he's a pagan nomad farmer, just kind of walking around. He's a guy that we'd never expect God to work in and work through. But God shows up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm choosing you. 
He says, I'm going to give you a son, Abraham. I'm not going to give you just one son. I'm going to give you descendants. As many as stars in the sky, that's how many offspring you're going to have, Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm choosing you. I'm going to give you land. And through your descendants and through this land, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. Abraham, the world's getting saved through you. See, what happens is God makes this promise to Abraham in the form of a covenant. Perhaps you've heard of the Abrahamic covenant. That's what we're talking about. And it's this monumental moment in Scripture that sets the stage for the rest of the Bible. Like, I'm not exaggerating. The rest of Scripture can be read in the context of this covenant that God makes with Abraham. But what happens with this is God makes the Abraham with covenant uh, for a child, for descendants. Abraham's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, 65. She's barren. So naturally, Abraham's going to ask the question, well, how is this going to happen? Because physically, this is impossible for us. We can't have kids. How is God going to make this promise? And then in the next nine chapters of the book of Genesis, Abraham waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits for God to make good on his word. And with that background, Paul starts writing about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. And this is what he says in verse 20. He says, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. How did Abraham wait well? How do you wait well? I got one point today, so if you're taking notes, this is the note. You wait well by grounding yourself in God's promises. Right? If you're going to wait well, you've got to ground yourself in God's promises. Because if you know Abraham, Abraham had to wait for 25 years for that initial fulfillment of a son. Right? So if you're keeping count, that puts Abraham at 100, and that puts Sarah at 90. Right? So that's like, that's like God making you a promise in 1993. Right? That's pre-Google. I was two years old in 93. And then God not fulfilling it until now in 2018. Like, tell me that you wouldn't waver in 25 years. Tell me you wouldn't start to doubt. Because the thing about waiting is it's not a static thing. It's not neutral. Right? Waiting is actually deteriorating you. Because you're aching for that fulfillment, right? Like, you know Abraham's looking in the mirror thinking... Well, goodness, if I'm going to have sons, this better start happening quick. I'm 100 years old. You know he's looking at Sarah thinking, man, she ain't getting any younger. Like, if God's going to do this, he's got to move. But no, they wait 25 years. And then finally, they conceive, and God gives them Isaac. And Isaac is the father of Jacob, and Jacob becomes Israel. But what's crazy about Abraham's waiting is it didn't even stop with Isaac. Because remember, God said, Abraham, I'm not just going to give you a son. I'm giving you descendants, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. See, Abraham's waiting for something so much bigger than just a child. The author of Hebrews, another book in the New Testament, is writing about Abraham, and this is what he says in Hebrews 11. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
heirs with the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Ultimately, Abraham's waiting for God to come down and live with him forever. But don't miss this. Abraham died waiting. He died, but he never saw it. What I've been learning this week is what uh, I'm calling longing deferred. Because make no mistake, in the Abrahamic covenant, in this promise, God was promising to meet every, uh, every longing that humanity has. He was promising to give us this eternal city where we will be with God forever. But in this time, it becomes deferred. He doesn't see it happen. Like, we have these Bibles, right? Old Testament. No one likes to read the Old Testament. Do you know what one of the reasons we have the Old Testament is for? It is thousands of years of history of what it's like to wait. That's one of the main points. You just have Israel just waiting, just waiting. We have the New Testament. What's the New Testament about? Well, in the Gospels, we get Jesus Christ. He comes, he dies, raises, goes back to heaven. And what's he say before he goes back to heaven? Wait until I come back. Right? Like the whole thing of the Christian life is we're waiting on God. We're not that different from Abraham. We're waiting to see this longing in us fulfilled. We're waiting for this longing to be met. But maybe the difference is this. Abraham waited really well because he grounded himself in the promises of God. His weight didn't waver him. His weight didn't shake his faith. No, he said, I will ground myself in God's promise. You know, Christmas, it's not smiles and carols and singing and lights for everybody. Actually, for most people, Christmas is one of the hardest times of the year because we're not all having these Hallmark movie moments, are we? Now, so many of us are so acutely aware that we're living in this deferred period just waiting on God because we know the promises of God, right? Just like Abraham, we have these promises, but we're not seeing them met in the immediate. Like we know God promises reconciliation, how many of us are dreading Christmas dinner because there are some just straight-up messy family members in our family? And we're going to have to go and spend some time with them, and there's going to be fighting and bickering. It can be in-laws or grandparents or brothers or sisters or cousins. And we're begging for reconciliation. Like, we are praying for God to restore these relationships. But unless there's a massive movement of the Holy Spirit where he descends in a crazy way and we start speaking in tongues, like, we are waiting on God to reconcile this family. It's Advent, season of joy. Well, how many of us are waiting on joy? Because every time Christmas comes around, we're just filled with sadness because of who isn't here anymore. There's that empty spot at the table. And maybe you've lost a parent or a spouse or a child. And you're praying for God to just give me some joy, give me some joy. But right now you're just waiting, stuck in sadness. And we worship a good God, the great physician, the God who heals. How many of us are waiting right now? Because maybe you have a diagnosis or someone in your family has a diagnosis and you are praying and you are begging for God to show up. But no, you're just stuck waiting. How many of our marriages were just waiting on God to show up and rectify and restore some love for one another? 
How many of us are waiting in our job or our career situation? We're just looking for direction. We just want God to show up and tell us what we should do because we want to be obedient, but we just don't know what to do because we're waiting on God. How many of us are waiting right now because we're just stuck in this sin addiction? And we know it's sin and we want to get out and we've been struggling for months, if not years, if not decades. And God, deliver me. But you're just waiting on God to deliver. How many are waiting for God finally to show up and minister to you with comfort and get you out of the state of loneliness? How many are waiting right now for this year just to be over? Because we would never say this out loud, but if we were honest, you know, 2018 has been an awful year. God's let me down at so many different levels this year. And I can't remember the last time I had a good prayer life. I can't remember the last time I sat in Scripture and actually experienced His love. And so you're just waiting for 2019 because 20, yeah, 2019 can't be any worse than 2018. Who's here waiting this morning just for God to reveal Himself? Because like you want to believe. You're here in church. You're looking for something more. You want that fulfillment. But unless God shows up, you're just waiting. The question I have for you is this, is your waiting crushing you, or is your waiting growing you? We're all waiting. Is it crushing you, or is it growing you? Because Romans 4, Abraham grew strong. How is that possible? Because he grounded himself in the promises of God. And what does that mean? So we're not Abraham, we're living New Testament. What's it mean that we ground ourselves in the promises of God? I'm not going to do any theological gymnastics here. For us right here, if you are stuck waiting, if you feel like it's crushing you, the call is simple. Ground yourself in the gospel. Right? That's the greatest promise that God's ever given us. That's the greatest promise God's ever delivered on us. And so if you're waiting, no, you say, okay, although this hurts, although this is painful, although I can barely make it through, I know that Jesus Christ came. And I know that he lived for us. I know that he died for us. I know that he rose again. And I know he put his spirit inside me. And so I'm going to ground myself in that. I'm going to ground myself in the finished work of Christ. That I don't have to earn this anymore. That I know God's for me. Because if you're a Christian, you sink your teeth. You anchor yourself in Romans 8. And any time the weight gets hard, you say, no, I know God is for me. No, I know that nothing can separate me from his love. And there's not no voice, there's no thought, there's no nothing that can condemn me if I am in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I ground myself in that. And if I'm a child of God, that means I have divine inheritance. And if I have divine inheritance, that means I have a spot with Christ at the table. Like, how do you ground yourself in the promise of God? You ground yourself in the gospel. The problem is, as soon as the weight gets heavy, we so quickly disbelieve. As soon as it gets hard, it's the first thing we do is, God's not for me. I don't think God's all interested in me. I don't think God cares that much because I've been praying, I've been waiting, but I'm still waiting. You've got to ground yourself in the gospel. When I was in high school in 2008, one of the most sweet movies came out for all the dudes out there. Taken. You guys remember Taken? Liam Neeson, let's go. So in this movie, uh, he's an ex-CIA agent, 
He's in retirement, and his daughter goes on vacation in Europe. She gets abducted in Paris. And so the movie's about Liam Neeson coming out of retirement, and he starts teaching these abductors about that certain set of skills that he's acquired over many years. Oh, and he does it. Super dope. So Liam Neeson goes, he gets his daughter, brings her back. And I want you to imagine if after the movie it were to extend another three years. And so his daughter starts sitting around. She starts thinking, ah, I don't know if dad loves me anymore. I don't know if dad's all that for me anymore. Doesn't seem to care about me anymore. Doesn't really do anything for me anymore. I just, I don't think dad likes me. What would you say? Watch the movie. The dude blew up half of Europe for you. The dude killed like all those dudes for you. He got toward, what do you mean he doesn't love you? When you start disbelieving the gospel, like watch the movie, what Christ has already done. Like look what he's done for you. Look how he suffered for you. Look what he endured for you. What are you telling me you don't think he loves you? You do not let unbelief into your heart. You ground yourself in the promises of the gospel. Abraham didn't let disbelief into his heart when he had to wait. Romans 4, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. Abraham knew. He said, if God promised it, and since I know who God is, I'm going to ground myself in the promise. The question, though, that we just need to answer then is this. How? Like, if you're in the wait right now, how do you ground yourself in the promise of God? I got two points of application, and so we're back in Romans 4. You guys, I hope when I, when I preach, I try to be really intentional about this. Like, you don't need an MDiv to read the Bible, right? You don't need Bible school to read. Like, we can all read and see the same thing. Don't be intimidated by the text. Let's put our noses in it. We can all see the same thing. So how do you ground yourself in the promises of God? He grew strong in his faith. I guess a point one how? You have ferocious faith. Abraham lived a life with ferocious faith. And all I mean by that is he wasn't shaken by circumstance. He didn't let what was external shake what was internal. Because Abraham, that cat lived by faith. When God gives this promise, he says, get up and go. Abraham gets up and goes, picks up his whole family. They just, they go. They start following God. In faith, Abraham makes the covenant of circumcision. Tell me, guys, if you heard a voice from the sky telling you to cut that, that takes faith. Right? In faith, Isaac's finally born, and Abraham offers him up as a sacrifice to God. Because he had faith and said, well, if, Abraham, if, Isaac is, uh, if Isaac dies, I believe God can raise him from the dead. In faith, he keeps marching on towards this eternal city promised to him. See, he had a life of ferocious faith. In the wait right now, is your life marked by ferocious faith? Or does it waver? Is it shaken? Is it full of doubt? Because faith is not so much about what's going on around you. It's about grounding yourself in the promise of God. William Carey, uh, he was known as the father of modern missions. He's the guy who brought the gospel uh, to India. He's a British guy. Abraham, William Carey was a guy who lived in the wait. 
So when Cary lands in India, the first two years of his ministry, not one letter is sent to him. No one cares that he's there. First seven years of his ministry, not one convert. Nobody responds, just waiting on God. Takes Cary 19 years to learn the languages and different dialects. Eventually he translates the Bible into 10 different translations to give to the people. His hut catches on fire, burns everything. William Carey gets married two separate times. Both his wives die. William Carey gets in a bad accident. He's lame until the very end, can't walk normal. For 41 years, William Carey waits. And this is what he wrote in his journal. He said, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on Christ, would rise about all obstacles and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. His faith was ferocious because it was grounded in God's promise. It was grounded in God's cause. And God's cause did triumph in India. But Carrie didn't see barely any of it. It did not let his faith waver. How do you ground yourself in God's promise? You have a ferocious faith. It's not the only thing we learned from the text. So let's go back to Romans 4. And we can all see the same thing. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. To the point to how you've got to have purposeful patience. Right? You're not waiting by accident. It's not as if God has somehow forgotten about you and left you in the wait. He has you there because he's sovereign. He's not disinterested. And so instead of begging to get out of the wait, the question you need to be asking yourself is what is the purpose of the wait? And the answer is always the same. How can I live in such a way that when people look at me, they will see God? That the purpose of my wait, they will see God's glory. They will see God's love. They will see his love and his kindness and his mercy and his justice. Right? In situations that make everybody else restless, no, they'll look at you and they'll see patience. Patience with the purpose of helping other people see God. Do you realize how many eyes are on you? Like all of us. I don't care if you're old, young. I don't care if you're business guru, leader. If you're a follower. We all have spheres of influence with people looking at us. No one gives a rip how you live when things are awesome. If you want to influence people, they care how you live when things are awful. Will they see purpose in you? Will they see purposeful patience to help other people see God? Or will they see something else? The person who always complains. The person who's always just down in the dumps, bemoaning everything. 
And you've got to have purposeful patience because I promise you, there is not a greater evangelistic method on this planet than waiting well. When people look at you and they see this purposeful patience, they're going to ask, how can I get that? Because the reality is, they're waiting too. How do you wait well? You've got to have a purposeful patience. You have that paired with ferocious faith. You're going to live like Abraham lived, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So why this message at Christmas? Like, why now? Well, on Christmas morning, I will hop on a plane and I'm going to fly to Minneapolis, where I grew up. I'm going to get off and I'm going to drive to my brother's house in St. Paul and we are going to celebrate and it will be 12 months since my mom died. So we're going to have that empty spot at the table. Already feels a little empty. And then the next day, my wife and I will go to her parents' house, my in-laws, where we'll celebrate with my mother-in-law who has stage 4 cancer. We've been praying for for years, waiting. And there are family members that cannot stand each other. And I know it's going to become a fight at some point where people will yell. And the next day, I have a meeting with a friend who's no freer from sexual addiction than the day I met him five years ago. And after 48 hours of landing, it's going to be so abundantly clear to me that we are in this season of longing, this state of longing. But it's been deferred. And so we're waiting for God to make good on everything he promised. But at Christmas, with the birth of Abraham's true descendant, Jesus Christ, the one who did live and died and rose again, I'll be reminded that the wait's almost over. I'll be reminded of all this longing and expectation and anticipation. But the king of the eternal kingdom was born and that he is coming back. And so to the best of my ability, I'm going to ground myself in that. And I'm going to fight for ferocious faith. And I'm going to have this purposeful patience that if I'm here waiting, I'm going to help someone else see God. And if all else fails, if that can't get me through the day, I'll get on my knees and I'll open up Isaiah 41. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray.